we're making a pivot as we speak right now to take advantage of those opportunities. So when there's ever, whenever we see a crisis or any type of um, disruption, you know, we view that as an opportunity. And we're trying to find how can we take advantage of that opportunity for the benefit of, you know, of our organization and our investors. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 3% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Lead the Team. Today, I have Greg Friedman, who's CEO at Peachtree Hotel Group, based over in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, Peachtree has acquired or developed more than $6 billion of hotel properties, and they currently own and operate 6,850 hotel guest rooms and 63 assets, including Marriott, Starwood, Hilton, Hyatt, Choice, and Intercontinental Hotel Group Flags. Now, Greg has more than 23 years of hospitality experience with an emphasis on deal structuring and financing. He's also served as a senior leader with Specialty Finance Group and GMAC Commercial Mortgage Assets Back Loans Lending Division. And Greg holds a Bachelor's of Arts in Biology from the University of Texas at Austin. And he's currently a board member at the American Hotel and Lodging Association. Greg, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me and look forward to spending some time with you today. Yes, sir. So question right out of the gate right out of the gate here. How does someone that has a degree in biology, end up as CEO of a hotel group? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, <laughs> you know, personally, I grew up in, a, and I get that question all the time, by the way. So I personally, you know, grew up in a family that actually owned some hotel properties. And my family also had a, they owned a lending business that was really big in the hospitality industry back in the late 80s and 90s, as well as into the 2000 time period. But so personally, grew up around the business. Um, you know, went to school, University of Texas at Austin, as you mentioned. And when I graduated Texas, you know, I had a couple of different opportunities. I could have gone down the direction of getting, you know, going to medical school, or um, you know, could have taken the, the direction of being entrepreneurial. And it was the entrepreneurial route was somewhat in my blood, just given my grandfather was um, was the one that actually got my family in the hotel business. He was, you know, very entrepreneurial and was in a lot of different businesses. He was actually a doctor by trade. Um, so he was sort of the um, influence for me to get a biology degree and originally to go down that medical um, direction. But ultimately I made a personal pivot when I was graduating college and came to the realization I really wanted to go pursue a more business focused career and fortunately, when I was graduating college, you know, I had the opportunity um, to get on the banking side of the hospitality industry. So I ended up joining GMAC Commercial Mortgage because um, they had a position open within their hotel finance group and was able to you know, join that organization. And that was my initial, uh, from a professional perspective, that was my initial entry point into the hospitality industry. And so ultimately, 
you know, over the next, you know, 10 years when I joined GMAC, um, you know, I focused on financing hotel projects, the same type of hotel projects that we invest in today within our company at Peachtree, you know, both on the equity and debt side, were the type of hotels I was, you know, financing and capitalizing. So I had financed over you know, 300 hotel projects when I was with GMAC. And, uh, and then ultimately our group was, you know, at GMAC, our division was sold off to especially finance group or to Silverton bank, which was, you know, especially finance group was a division of it. And, uh, and, and effectively around that time period in 2007, that's when initially I started Peachtree hotel group with myself and, you know, one of my business partners today, Matul and Matul Patel, the two of us, you know, went out and started buying some hotels together and started Peachtree. And that's, you know, that was how I basically became a CEO of a hotel company because it was, it was, you know, our company and, uh, and we were fortunate to, to be able to go set up our own company back in 2007. Yeah. So it seems interesting to me that, you know, you, you made the leap into the finance side, you kind of rose up through the finance side of the business where it would see, I don't know if this is the case for a lot of you know, companies in this business, but a lot of the CEOs might come from the hospitality side, or they may have, you know, come from a different part of the business. You've really kind of cut your teeth in finance. How has that uniquely prepared you for the top spot? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. So for, you know, our platform, I think it's, it did a really good job because, you know, first and foremost, you know, Peachtree as a company, you know, although we operate hotels, we develop hotels, we actually have a division called Stonehill that finances hotels. So we finance for other companies that want to go develop and acquire hotels. We actually finance them. And that's a division of our organization. Um, but, you know, ultimately, when you look across our organization and really the ecosystem we've created, you know, we're first and foremost, we're an investment platform. So we're you know, really an investment platform that's primarily focused on the lodging industry. So 90% of the assets that we have under management today are hospitality-related assets. And these are mostly branded hotels under the, you know, the Marriott Hilton franchise mm-hmm. systems, you know, as well as Intercontinental and Hyatt and some of the other franchise systems. So we, you know, we focus on branded hotels. And again, we're investing on the equity side where we buy the real estate or develop, you know, hotel from the ground up and we'll own that real estate or we, you know, or we finance companies where we'll have a first mortgage loan and provide a you know, construction loan or acquisition mm-hmm. loan. And then we own all these different companies down below that service, those investments we're making through the different investment vehicles that we're sponsoring. And so we have this, you know, again, this ecosystem that is all predicated on the fact that we're really an investment platform, uh, but ultimately we're providing services. So, so me as, you know, the CEO of Peachtree Hotel Group, you know, just with my background on the capital market side, because, you know, as I was banking and financing hotels, it's a, it's a huge benefit to be able to you know, run this platform because it is predicated on our ability um, to find, you know, new investment opportunities to take advantage of dislocations in the market on the debt side or the equity side. And, you know, ultimately, you know, I have leaders of different pieces of our business mm-hmm. that are, you know, the, the presence of these different, like our operation platform or really our property management platform. When I say operation platform, we have, you know, Patrick Short, who's the president of that company. And he's reporting, you know, into the, you know, the ultimate parent company, which is Peachtree. 
Um, and he's just one example. We have, you know, many team leaders across the different business units, but, um, but it, it, you know, my background did uniquely prepare me for this because a lot of it is based on the investment side. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And so it sounds like you've been, you've had a real focus too on building your team out because if you're focused on the financing side and yet you've got property management and you're, you know, you're, you're doing, there's, there's a lot of other pieces of this thing, finding the right players have got to be key. What what advice do you have for leaders who are trying to build their teams out? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I mean, the team is the most having the right team members is the most critical part to building a business, and not only having the right team members, but making sure you're putting um, each member of the team in the right seat to be successful. And so, yeah, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's one of those that you know, I think as leaders, I think it's you know, it, it's critical that you're great at setting, you know, expectations. Um, I think it's great to be able to give direction, um, communicate, transparency. Um, I think as as a leader, you know, my best advice I can give, you know, someone that's, you know, looking, that is going to be a leader, that is a leader of a company, is it's critical that you get everyone on the same page and you make sure you set you know, expectations and make sure it's reasonable expectations. Cause I see a lot of times people have unreasonable expectations and that just causes, um, you know, distrust at a later date within the team or it causes just confusion or, you know, ultimately, um, you know, it ends up leading, especially in this type of environment, you could have retention issues and being able to retain the team and sustain success. You really need to have a team that's all working together mm-hmm. and that are all on the same page. Um, and that have, you know, most importantly, that have trust, you know, across the organization, across the team members, but also with leadership. So you can, you know, make the pivots when you need to make the pivot. Because um, there's going to be, you know, in any business, there's always going to be challenges that are going to come up. And those challenges are gonna, probably going to create opportunities. You know, there could be challenges from an economic perspective. There could be challenges, you know, that could just come up due to your, um, due to, you know, maybe shifts or changes within your industry. And if you're going to, you know, be able to make pivots, you really need the trust of the team, so they're willing to, you know, make those mm-hmm. changes at the right time, and so, for you to achieve that long. So, when's the time that you and the Peachtree Group there have had to make a pivot? Yeah, so we've, you know, we've had to make a pivot, you know, many different times. So we were, you know, we started the company as I mentioned in 2007. So May of 2007, which was the peak uh, before the. Um, Great Recession, we started the company. And so in 2007, we started the company at the the peak, probably the worst time to start a a business that was focused on the lodging industry because that was, you know, that was a high point within the hotel business. Unfortunately, I think everyone knows what quickly happened in 2008, 2009. um, We started going through the Great Recession and we quickly, as an organization, because originally we were set up to go out and just buy hotel properties and develop hotels. Uh, but we were, you know, we realized we were going to be in for a very, you know, back in 2008, we we're going to be in for a very long um, economic recession that was going to be very painful towards the lodging industry. So we had to quickly set up our own management company to run mm-hmm. our hotel properties. And so that was one pivot we had to make at that time. And then the other pivot we made um, specifically in, you know, towards, you know, 2009 and into 2010 was we saw the opportunity, you know, for us to make new investments. It was very hard to go out and buy 
to you know buy hotels or even develop hotels in mm-hmm. 2009, 2010. But for us to continue to exist as an organization and to be able to play offense, we had to find other ways um, to invest capital. And one strategy we came up with in that time period was to go out and buy debt secured by primarily hotel properties. So we bought over you know, 40 first mortgage loans on hotel assets. We bought about a dozen um, or a little over a dozen non-hotel first mortgage loans as well. So we were very active in 2010, 11, and 12 in buying debt from banks that were looking to sell off paper. Mm -hmm. And so we made that pivot into, you know, buying debt and starting up our debt team back in, you know, 2010. And then we made another pivot in 20. 13, because as the note trade, and it was really towards the end of 2012, we made this pivot, but we realized there wasn't as much opportunities because the Great Recession, there was more, you know, we had, you know, recovery and things were stabilizing out within the capital market. So there wasn't the opportunity to buy debt at a discount you know, at the end of 2012 and into 2013. So we made another pivot within our business, although we continued to develop and buy hotels in 2012 and 2013 and 2014. Mm-hmm. But we made the pivot within our debt strategy to go out and become a direct originator of loans, you know, where we specialize within the hospitality industry. So we, you know, today as we sit here, we're one of the larger originators of first mortgage loans where we finance, you know, as I mentioned earlier, other groups to acquire, you know, develop hotels as well as to refinance or recapitalize existing hotels in their portfolio. So we, you know, we do about 800, 900 million a year of just direct lending to hotel owners. Mm-hmm. Um, so we made that pivot. And then, you know, across without going through every pivot we made, probably the biggest pivot we made was in um, you know, 2019 or 2020. And with the the pandemic, you know, we had a as an organization um in March of 2020, as you can imagine, you know, the pandemic was was uh you know we were the tip of the sword of what was happening. Um, cause, you know, we went from having record occupancies in, in, you know, February of, you know, call it January, mm-hmm. February of 2020 to having, um, having no occupancy. So we went from having record occupancy levels within the hospitality industry, having no occupancy overnight. And so we had to make a pivot within our business and we had to be very, um, we had to, you know, be very thoughtful and decisive, um, with that pivot because, you know, we didn't have a lot of, you know, we didn't have a lot of time to make Decisions. So we were able to divide up our team um, into um, two different, you know, to two different teams. One team was focused on defense, where they were protecting the assets that we owned, um, and then we had another team focused on offense. And in the, you know, throughout the um, pandemic, you know, we became, you know, one of the bigger, if not the biggest, buyers of loans from from banks that were looking to sell off exposure to the lodging industry. So we bought over. 200 first mortgage loans on different hotel assets uh, because we were so decisive and we were able to be, um, you know, take advantage of opportunities that existed by making that, you know, pivot within our team um, to be able to have one team focus on playing offense and making new investments and another team focused on playing defense and, you know, really asset managing our portfolio. And fortunately that worked out really well and we were very successful and not only, protecting our existing assets, but also in maximizing the value there, but also being able to, you know, go out and buy, um, buy up a bunch of debt. And also we bought a bunch of, you know, hotel real estate through the pandemic as well. 
Yeah, fantastic. I mean, it was like I'm, I'll ask about one pivot, and you give me like six or seven. It's impressive. Yeah, sorry. No, I, I think that's a great example uh, of that. And it seems like every little oper every little crisis that happened was an opportunity for you to uh, expand and uh, you know really position position the company for the for the future. And I, one of the moves that you said, you said offense and defense. So you'd split your team, offense, defense. One, how was this crisis? How can we defend what we have and make sure you know, we protect it? But then we also have offense. And I think, I think that's a great leadership move for people to think about when they're in a crisis because sometimes they feel like it's all or nothing. And it seems like you've been able to successfully you know, break it into two strategies and make it work for yourself. Yep. I, I think you're, I think you're totally right. And I think Winston Churchill sort of said it best, you know, never let a crisis go to waste, you know? So, you know, you want to be able your to, motto you know, <laughs> inside speech tree. Yeah. Right? I like it. Yeah. It's a, it's, you know, something that, you know, I think, you know, that's one, one thing that's resonated within peach tree because it's every time there has been a, you know, any type of economic disruption or, you know, any type of dislocation in the market. And we're mm-hmm. experiencing a dislocation as we speak right now within the, the debt markets, although the underlying assets within the hospitality industry are performing really well um, within the debt markets. There's a lot of volatility and, you know, we're making a pivot as we speak right now to take advantage of those opportunities. So when there's ever, whenever we see a crisis or any type of um, disruption. You know, we view that as an opportunity, and we're trying to find how can we take advantage of that opportunity for the benefit of you know of our organization and our investors. So we try to you know find a way to um, you know to leverage those um, those disruptions uh, to our benefit. So when you think about this, you've got like about a thousand employees, more or less. Am I in the neighborhood? Yeah, we we. We've got actually more than that. So we've, you know, okay. corporately, we've got about 200 corporate team members. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got about 200 corporate team members. And then out at the different hotels we operate, you know, we have several thousands of employees. So we have over, you know, 2,000 employees out at the different hotels we operate. Okay. So thinking about that and you're doing all these pivots, what's your sort of, sort of what's your leadership strategy to lead people through? So we're pivoting. But like you mentioned, hey, we're, we broke our group up to look at different ways. It seems like you're really moving people around uh, when you're making these pivots. What What's your advice for leaders who, like, okay, I, I get the pivot idea, but doing it with a 2,200-person organization, maybe not the easiest place to do it because you got to get people on board with it. Yeah. You you definitely have to get everyone on board. The biggest recommendation there is over communicate. I think communication, having reasonable expectations, because you're not going to be able to have success overnight. I mean, this is a, you're playing a long game. Um, you've got to you know simplify the messaging as well and make sure um, again you're putting people in a position. Because, you know, some people are better, you know, going back to the offense, defense, certain people's skill sets, personalities, 
are better suited in a, you know, defensive type mold, you know, being in the asset management side. There's other people that have a more um, offensive mindset mm-hmm. and, you know, you've got to, you know, figure those pieces, you know, those, you know, different equations or pieces out as well um, to make sure you're maximizing success. And it, a lot of it is just, it comes down to communication, um, remaining disciplined, you know, sharing the vision. And, you know, ultimately everyone wants transparency, right? Like everyone wants to know why they're doing what they're doing. They want to know the good and the bad, and it's okay to share, you know, cause nothing is ever going to go according to plan. And I think the big thing is explaining that, especially to the individuals that are in the, the trenches, because, mm-hmm. you know, again, when you have like across our organization, not everyone, you know, there's certain people that are performing certain tasks that are very benefit because everyone's important to the team. Uh, but some people aren't, they don't necessarily need to be exactly in the real time um, knowledge category of what exactly is happening. But then there's other team members that do need to be, and you need to make sure whoever's mm-hmm. um, responsible for performing certain tasks that they have, you know, real time feedback and you're again, over communicating. And I think unfortunately in this day and age of technology, um, a lot of times we end up leaving people off of email exchanges or not communicating via the phone. Um, and that's why I think a lot of times you end up in scenarios where things don't end successfully because people just don't have all the, the knowledge or the facts mm-hmm. around a certain situation. And so they're not able to, they're not able to you know provide um, any benefit to what's happening. And so, you just want to make sure everyone, you know, not only feels part of the, you know, feels a part of the the team, but also they're, you know, able to, you know, contribute. And the best way for them to be able to contribute is having, you know, having that transparency, communication, and direction. You know, and that's that's what's critical on the leadership side. What's your favorite communication mechanism to reach your twenty two hundred employees? Yeah, so I think across our organization, what we do is. Um, cause it's very big on the corporate side to make sure everyone, all the corporate team members are on the same page. Mm-hmm. And then we have communication down to the properties as well to the team there. But what we do and what we did earlier today, we, once a quarter, we have, um, uh, we have town hall meetings, you know, where myself mm-hmm. and, you know, usually probably six or seven other leaders across the company will stand up and speak and give updates about different, um, what's happening across the organization. Um, or new opportunities that people are working on. Um, so everyone is in the know. Um, we do, in addition to that, you know, we, we try to manage having, you know, you know, cause again, we have all these different divisions and teams. So I'm constantly having meetings, um, with these different, you know, teams and we try to manage, you know, and balance out having, you know, too many meetings with making sure we're giving the, you know, mm-hmm. the correct communication and so forth. So there's a lot of correspondence that goes that goes in weekly through pre-plan, um, you know, meetings that we have, if it's a pipeline discussion on new opportunities, if it's asset management calls. Um, and then we have a lot of, you know, email correspondence going across the organization. But, you know, when we go into a, a moment of volatility, um, usually we will like during the pandemic, you know, we went the direction of having weekly calls with the whole entire organization, the team to update everyone on what was happening because things were evolving so quickly um, in the current environment where there is volatility, it's just not as 
strong as we saw during the pandemic, you know, we're still sticking to having, you know, our, you know, we have certain smaller team meetings weekly, but the bigger corporate mm-hmm. meetings are happening quarterly to update everyone on what's happening. Yeah. It can be, it can be tough to reach frontline workers. Maybe they're not always checking their email. Uh, you know, I've, we've uh, done some things like start a podcast for a company that had a large or has a large group of uh, truck drivers, over 4,000 of them. Right. Like, you, you know, how do you reach them? So a, a podcast was one way to do that, but yeah, it's always interesting to sort of make sure that you're getting the communication out to where it needs to be and also to retain them in a way. And so, so hearing from top line, top leaders to frontline leaders can be a great, great way to retain them. And it sounds like you're doing that through email, but you're also doing that through these uh, town hall meetings as well as communication mechanisms through your different, you know, leaders and sell the organization. Yeah. And it's, and we also have like a monthly, you know, newsletter and things like that, that we do as mm-hmm. well. But I find that the town hall meetings to be really helpful because, you know, like today we probably fielded um, 20 or so questions from, from different team members. And a lot of the questions are, you know, probably questions that everyone has, or, you know, a lot of the team has that we're just not addressing, not because we're trying to, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying not to be transparent or anything like that. It's really, we just didn't know it was a question. And so that is the most, to me, that's one of the most effective ways to communicate because you can actually, um, especially if the team's bought in and the team mm-hmm. trusts that it's a safe zone to ask questions. Um, that's where you can you know, really make sure everyone gets on the same page um, on what, you know, you're trying to accomplish. and. And that's where I also I think culture is super critical across organizations. And I could probably talk 10 minutes about culture, but I think everyone has a different opinion as it relates to culture. But that is a, that's a huge element as well to, to the leadership side. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. I mean, what is your advice to leaders on how to create a great culture? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's one of those that I think a lot of people fall into the trap of thinking culture is all about having happy hours and, you know, going out to team dinners or, you know, going and, and going and maybe doing a, you know, some type of sporting event together or whatever the case is. But to me, that's really more moments of celebration. I mean, that doesn't really build culture. And I think culture really comes down to how you have respect for the team and how you show appreciation to the team and how you communicate, you know, to each other and what, you know, is required from the top down. And that's where if you're, you know, requiring people to, you know, work every weekend, um, you're not respecting their personal lives, right? There's got to be, you know, there's got to be a balance in life between, you know, personal life and professional life. I think it's also um, making sure, again, to me, I think setting reasonable expectations because everyone wants to be successful. I've never talked to anyone that doesn't want to be successful. Um, and usually the only reason someone doesn't want to be successful is because they feel like they've been, you know, potentially just put in a, a bad situation or wrong by whoever they're working with. And so the biggest thing to ensure the success of everyone is making sure you're giving not only good direction, but really um, mm-hmm. combining that with reasonable expectations. Cause 
you know, as I've said probably multiple times here, not everything's going to, you know, be perfect overnight. So once you give direction, there's going to be times where things just don't come together. You know, maybe that, you know, you had a bad idea or maybe it was, uh, you know, or maybe it was just a situation where something, you know, there was some unknown factor that no one thought of that, you know, came into play that, you know, ended up impacting the outcome. And so ultimately it's just having that, you know, being, you know, compassionate to what's happening, um, having good emotional EQ, you know, as a leader, going back to the culture side, I think all those kind of elements create a culture where people want to, you know, work in that environment where they're, you know, being respected, mm-hmm. appreciated, you know, get, getting good direction, having, you know, being put in a situation to develop out professionally, especially when you have younger and mid-level management, you know, they want to professionally develop out and get elevated. And they want a pathway to be elevated and being able to provide that um, is huge on a professional perspective so they can hit their you know professional goals and so forth. Thinking about all the different pivots that you've led your organization through and that and all the hurdles that you've navigated them through. I'm I'm I'm, all, I'm curious from a personal perspective, all the stress from that and the uncertainty, what do you what do you do sort of maintain? your mental and physical acumen through these stressful situations? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So it's uh, the easiest to me, I keep a very um, consistent schedule. So hmm. I, you know, tend to wake up early in the morning to, to work out. And, you know, to me, I run pretty much most mornings. Um, and so to me, that's probably the biggest um, way for me to sort of just, you know, relieve stress and to, you know, sort of relieve any tension that may be existing, you know, because of um, stress within the Mm -hmm. business. Um, But I find keeping a very consistent schedule allows for, um, you know, for, for really to mitigate or minimize any stress coming from, you know, coming from the the workplace. Um, Yes. You have a time that you're turning it off at night, a time that you're working out, keeping that schedule. Are you, are you, do you lifting weights or just running? I do both. So I lift <laughs> weights and I run. Yeah. And, and part of the thing too, is cause I always tell people like, and probably I think you asked this question earlier or asked the form of it at least, but like, you know, the best advice I can give someone is, you know, I think unfortunately, you know, life is short, right? Like the, you know, time is probably your most important commodity when you think about it. And so it's, it's one of these where, I think people try to focus sometimes on, on the wrong things. Like, you know, everyone wants, you know, happiness. Well, happiness is an emotional response. And and really what you should be focused on is finding something you enjoy doing, no matter what the outcome is, you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, the, you know, when you find something you enjoy, you may lose, you know, you may end up losing, but the reality is, is you're going to be, you know, you may not be necessarily happy at that moment, but you're happy doing it because you're actually enjoying the activity you're doing. So, um, you know, ultimately everyone wants to win, but you got to find what you really enjoy doing. And that's one thing I think I'm fortunate about is I really enjoy what I do on a daily basis. So even when there is, you know, when there is a stressful situation, it never really, um, to me, I sort of, sort of like those stressful moments because I know, that that stress is being created by volatility and, and that volatility is going to create an opportunity for us on the other side of it. Mm. So I personally love what I do and that's, you know, 
that enjoyment to me is more sustainable and it's a, it's a constant no matter you know what the outcome is. Um, so if it's a stressful situation or whatever the case is, I still enjoy what we're doing. And I know that, yeah, at some point we're going to end up, you know, being successful again, which is going to you know create happiness. Such great insight there. And I agree. I, I personally didn't always have that in my career and it was such a grind and it led to burnout in my own business now, man. I mean, I like, I love doing the podcast. I love doing, you know, the leadership training development that we do. And I feel like you have a, a greater sense of the long game. Everything seems like it's, it's short term. Like, Hey, this, this win is short term and the, the, maybe the not, even when things aren't going right, like this is a short term thing. And it's going to create opportunity even during the pandemic. In fact, this podcast came for the pandemic. It wasn't what we were doing, uh, but people were at home. And so we started podcasting and man, it sure did work out. So it's, yeah, it's just pivoting. And I, I like that staying in touch with what you enjoy doing most and keeping that the common thread. Uh, so what books, podcasts, or music do you recommend for someone in the C-suite or who's on a mission to get there? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, there's a lot of good books out there. I mean, I really like Adam Grant. I'm a big fan of some of the books he's written, like Originals, um, mm-hmm. you know, Think Again. Um, I think, you know, he, he writes a lot of good books. Um, and then, you know, there's obviously, you know, Simon Sinek is someone else I'm a big fan of. He's written mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of different books. Um, and he has a lot of different, you know, podcasts and things like that as well. Um, so I think, you know, both of them, you know, I would highly recommend if you're in a, you know, leadership role or heading towards a leadership role, I think they provide really, um, you know, really good insight, you know, and one other person too is Malcolm Gladwell. Um, I Mm -hmm. think he, you know, has a lot of pot, you know, he's been on a lot of podcasts, he's written a lot of books and he just sort of sees the world from a you know, from a different perspective sometimes and sort of digs into why yeah. things exist the way they do. And I think, you know, I really like some of the insight he comes back with from time to time as well. So it's, um, you know, those are the ones I would recommend. Yeah. Some great books there. We'll keep them listed in the show notes for you listeners, but yeah, I'm a fan of those too, man. Um, a book of Simon Sinek that often gets sort of doesn't get as highlighted as much as leaders eat last. Did you check that book out? I've, I've seen it. Um, I have okay. not read it. I've actually listened to him talk about it. Um, so it's, okay. uh, you probably heard a lot of it, then. but it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it, it talks about the different chemicals that are released in our body as leaders when we're doing different things like dopamine and serotonin. And it's a very, it sort of talks about the chemicals of, uh, leading and following. And so I recommend people checking out that book. That little part of the book is like, just over halfway through it and it brings in some kind of cool science. Uh, so anyway, it's a, that's a fun book. And certainly Malcolm Gladwell blink. Have you, you know, you've heard it was blink Malcolm. Gladwell? Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that one. Yep. And I think about, you were talking about making quick decisions and a pivot and blink is a lot about decision-making and how we do that. Uh, last question. What's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success that listeners could go out and purchase? Um, a gadget that has contributed to my success. That's a, it's a great question. I would probably say just cause I'm always on the phone. So the, the iPhone is probably the, you know, to 
given what Apple has brought to us, Steve Jobs, that's probably the biggest thing that's contributed to my success is the ability to be able to to read emails, you know, anywhere in the world on my phone. So uh, that would be my interest. But I'm assuming my favorite app. um, You know, it's uh, you know, honestly, there's not one specific app that you know I'm trying to think that I utilize all the time that I would say is my favorite one. I end up using. I'd probably say probably the favorite app that's been created. I think that's changed the way um, I'm able to travel is probably Uber. Um, just given the fact that I mean, I'm always on the road, so I'm always traveling. And I used to, you know, going back 15 years ago, I'd always run a car. And today, mm-hmm. I never, you know, even 10 years ago, you'd always, you know, you'd be running a car, you know, as you go into these different cities. And now you're, t- you know, you you're able to cut down on time using um, Uber. I mean, it totally changed the way, um, you know, you get transported, you know, in different cities. And so it's made travel a lot more effective and efficient. So I would, I'd probably say Uber, if you want to talk about apps, I think. Yeah, huge, I, I uh, love it. I think, Uber. I, I think people sometimes feel like that's just normal to have Uber. I'm like, no, this is fairly recent. And it keeps getting better and better. You can see where your driver is, how far away it is from you. And people are taking this like it's just like a normal. I'm like, no, we were doing taxis. We were renting cars, having to rent the GPS because there wasn't one on the phone, taking you all over the place. You know, it, uh, and now yeah, Uber has simplified business travel in a big way. Well, great. Yeah, and it's, yeah. made it, it's made it economical. I was just going to say it's made it not only simplified travel, but it's made it economical because, you know, back 15 years ago, you had a, you know, rent a car service and now you can, you know, you can have an Uber just take you from point A to point B and then another one to pick you up at point B to take you to point C. So it definitely changed the world. Awesome. Well, great point to wrap up on Greg. Thanks for walking us through your leadership insights and some pretty cool pivots. Thank you so much. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.